soon as I read 1 Corinthians 13, which is 8 to the end of the chapter. Love never fails. Whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when, when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three. The greatest of these is love. The face of the despair of this world. The face of the trials and the hardships that shake your faith and hope. Love never fails. The constant theme throughout this short series on fellowship has been that the fellowship that God secures with you through Jesus Christ, the fellowship that we have with God, is the basis of the fellowship that we have with one another. And that fellowship can be characterized by a bond of love. You see, in the grand scope of history, the Lord has promised, he has covenanted that out of love, He says, I will be your God and you will be my people. You can hear that sense of fellowship and love that come through even in those simple words. I will be your God and you will be my people. It's a promise that endures to the very end, even to heaven itself. For God's word cannot fail. His love never fails. And as we've seen, this has very deep practical impact. We've looked at the characteristics of love. We've looked at the enduring nature of love. And in doing that, you may feel overwhelmed with the task that God is calling you to. Last week, I used the analogy that that Kyle Borg does in his book about love, uh, the analogy of a general charging you as his troops to go out into the field of battle and to not retreat, to not give up the fight, to never stop, never quit. And you might hear that and think, who am I to be able to be up to that task? Now, I know that in this world, there are lots of expressions about the never-ending character of human love. You don't have to turn very far on the radio or look very far in poetry to find expressions that my love for you is as high as the moon and as deep as the sea and will never fail. We all know that that promise made by fallen, broken men and women 
cannot last. We all fail in that promise. Sometimes the failure is is disastrous. And so you might hear this idea that love never fails and think, that's not me. How is it that I can go and take the field and never back down? Well, the point of this message is that it is the bond of God's love that provides not only the basis of your loving others, but also the engine that powers that fellowship with one another. Love never fails is, a, is pointing to the never-ending promise of God that we then enact, not perfectly, because we still do sin, but genuinely, because God's love never fails. I want to trace that out to these verses today and uh, let you know that this is the last message that I'll give to you in this, uh, this series on fellowship. There's a lot more that can be said, but I have purposed to kind of uh, take these words in 1 Corinthians as a, uh, as a mold for us to be thinking about fellowship. I'll begin by showing you that gifts will cease but love never fails. That's the way Paul closes this chapter on love. He goes back to show how it really is the excellent way. That's, that's how he closed chapter 12. He had spoken about the, the marvelous gifts that God gives to every Christian. He's given you his spirit. He's given you spiritual gifts so that the body is knit together, and that there's diversity and unity He has given some revelatory gifts that had a special role in the New Testament church. And then in the midst of that, he said, but now I show you a more excellent way. And it is this way of love. And so having spoken about these extraordinary gifts, as we call them, he goes on to say that those gifts have a temporary character about them. Love never fails, but prophecies will, and tongues will, and knowledge will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part will be done away. What Paul has in mind is that he gave certain gifts for a purpose in this life that will come to their conclusion when we reach heaven. There are certain gifts that had a purpose that, uh, that would lead the New Testament church until, until there was a time of, uh, of knowing God fully, of when the perfect would come. Here, I'm interpreting the perfect as pointing to, to heaven itself, that point in which we will know God even as he knows us. Paul uses these tantalizing words of seeing face to face, applying seeing Jesus face to face. And it's for this reason that Paul talks about 
knowledge and prophecy and tongues having a partial or a uh, uh, an imp- not really imperfect but a a uh, uh, a purpose that is suited for our imperfect states that they would lead us along to understand the mysteries of God that he is, has been showing to us. That's the way one commentator describes it, that they are, what the prophecies are given are mere glimpses of the mysteries of God. But when those mysteries stand revealed in the full light of heaven, what need do we have of those glimpses anymore? So here, Paul is not intending for you to get distracted by trying to figure out when specifically these revelatory gifts will, will come to their completion. Now, that's kind of a distraction. He's, he's saying that they will cease. They will cease when, when we arrive in heaven. But just the very fact that they will cease shows that they are temporary in nature. But God's surpassing love never fails. By comparison, then, what, we, what the Corinthians were being drawn to and even divided over was, were these, uh, these excellent gifts. And then they were thinking that they would aspire to these things and that they would have a, a better place in the kingdom of God. But they will cease. They are temporary. They serve a a temporary purpose. But the surpassing character of God, surpassing power of God, is shown in his love. And that is the more excellent way. So what Paul means to do is to inspire you to zealously live following this lifestyle of love. Yes, aspire to those gifts that would, would serve the church and build up the church. But even that is motivated by love. Aspire to those gifts not for selfish purpose, but so that you might be a benefit to others. In fact, all of those spiritual gifts have in mind the mutual blessing of one another, the unity that we have, and the diversity of gifts that are expressed, all shaped by God's love for us, modeled after Christ's love that he has demonstrated in his life and in his sacrifice, and ultimately sustained by God's love. It's kind of a summary of this first point. Love never fails. It will remain when the perfect comes. It will remain when we arrive in heaven. Sin will be done away with. The other gifts of the Spirit, which have served their purpose, will, uh, will come to an end as well. You will live forever in God's glorious love. Secondly, Paul gives a couple examples of this. He demonstrates the, uh, the imperfect or partial character of the here and now, Understanding that we are already children of God, we are already inheritance of these things, but there is a, a, a partial nature, there's a not yet aspect to our Christian experience. 
and not yet that will be realized in heaven. So here are the two examples. First is the analogy of maturity. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Paul compares here our earthly life, our earthly Christian experience, to to the perfect that we will enjoy in heaven. There's that already and not yet. And the comparison is uh, from an adult and a child who is physically and, and even mentally immature. Using that words without uh, a, a kind of derogatory fashion. So Paul mentions uh, speaking, thinking, reasoning. Uh, children just have different ways of, of expressing things, right? So if you ask my grandson Emmett what the, the little purple fruit is, he will tell you they're blueberries. That's that's what they are. They're blueberry berries, and uh, I, I actually hope he never stops calling them that. But as a child, you think as a child, you speak as a child. But when you grow up, you put away childish things. An adult is mature in thinking and speaking. So the point is that. Before we see Jesus face to face, we need help in understanding the things of God. So God did give us some helps. God gave us these revelatory gifts. But in heaven, we won't need them anymore. We'll understand and we'll enjoy the Lord's love and fellowship from a mature understanding. Remember, what we have now is real But what we'll have then is better. There are practical implications to this. I want you to think of of that idea of childish expressions of certain things. In our grasping of who God is, our experience of the love of God, it is still partial. You can believe that. (laughs) This is one of those hopeful things, is that it will be even better in heaven. It's really great now, isn't it? The love of God that he has for us. But what we have now is, is partial, and it's childish. And our expression of our love back to God is, is also childish and partial. And it's, it's still shot through with our failings, because we still sin. And our expression of love for one another is still partial, still shot through with our failings and with our sins. But it won't always be that way. It gives you hope in the here and now to persevere in loving one another, recognizing that your expression to each other expression of that love to you is imperfect. Won't always be that way. But it is now. 
and the greater, more excellent way of love teaches you to persevere in this childish period that we live. That ought to lead us to be patient and generous in our love with one another. You don't expect your children to be able to accomplish the tasks that you give them first time. You understand that they're a child, and so you, you live with them, you love them, and you train them along. And in this life, you will find that the not yet of our love for one another is a sore spot. We do sin against one another. Persevere patiently in that. Recognizing and not just recognizing, but deciding to love in this state, hoping for the perfect state that is to come. The second illustration that Paul gives is that of seeing a dim reflection in a mirror. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. Now the words that New King James translates dimly here. I think there might be a better translation, a translation of indirectly. The word is most often has that idea uh, of a reflection in a mirror where it, it isn't a direct seeing. The dimly probably comes from just the nature of the, the, the technology of mirrors that changed throughout the, the history of mankind. So you might know that in the ancient world, that people would polish a piece of metal in order to see a reflection. What you may not know is, is that in Corinth, that they were really good at this. They would polish brass. They were actually well known for, uh, for making the, the best reflective mirrors of the day. Really a quite good reflection could be had. And so this idea of, uh, uh, of dimly probably comes from that idea of, uh, of the older mirrors, and even a brass mirror wouldn't be as good as the mirror that we have today. But I think it's indirect because of what Paul says next. I see in a mirror, and I'll use the word indirectly, but then face to face. And the comparison is this. Start with the real. Think of going out on a date with your wife, and you sit at the restaurant table, and you look at each other directly, face to face. You don't go to the restaurant and sit with your back to your spouse, looking in a mirror at the reflection of your spouse. It's indirect. What we have now has, in some sense, a partial nature 
an indirect nature. Now, I say in some sense because I believe that every believer has the Spirit of God. Every believer knows Jesus Christ and comes to the Father through him. But it, it is not what it will be in heaven when we see face to face. We see directly. And oh, what a, what a great moment that will be when I am known even as, when I know even as I am known. We long for that. Again, there's this sense of a partial aspect of our gifts and our knowledge of God that is overshadowed by the perfect which is in heaven, which is secured by God's love that never fails. I'll pause and apply this again. It is this vision of heaven that sustains you in the Christian of life. What Christ has started, he will sustain to the very end. He promises that he loves you and that his love will never fail. He promised that he has gone to prepare a place for you so that you will be with him and see him face to face. He has promised and assures you that in all of the difficulties of this life, that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us and gave his life for us, so that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And this vision of heaven sustains us in our understanding, our, our, our assurance that we will receive what God has promised individually. But it also empowers and, use that word, the, the engine that drives our fellowship now. Having urged you to take the field and to not repeat, you need to know that that's not done by your own strength. Is done by the Lord Jesus Christ, whose love will never fail. It is by the love of God that he enables you to persevere in loving one another and deciding to love one another. Say again, not perfectly. That will come. But genuinely. For that matter, the very fact that you and I will fail each other is a demonstration when you decide to love, even in the midst of that failure. Those are a mark of heaven itself. God's love never fails. Hold on to that as the engine that will drive you in deciding to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Finally, this very poetic word uh, in verse 13. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three. The greatest of these is love. So having demonstrated that there was a, a a partial purpose to revelatory gifts. 
Paul moves on to say that there are other things that abide, and these three abide, faith, hope, and love, but love is even greater than all of these. There's an aspect of the first two that's similar to the spiritual gifts, will reach their goal in heaven. Our faith is that Jesus Christ redeems us from our sins and that Jesus will bring us all the way home. And by faith, we we follow after Jesus Christ. By faith, we believe that those promises are ours and we entrust our souls to him and he keeps us. And when we reach heaven, there is a sense in which as we see his shining face, that our, our faith will have reached its goal. Now, we will never turn our eyes away from his face. We'll never wander from that. But there is this aspect that as faith abides, that love is greater. And it fits Paul's purpose of promoting Christian fellowship. It's greater because it serves that, that, that great and glorious goal of binding you up in the love of God in a way that also binds you together in Christian fellowship. It's a love that we enjoy now and that will be perfected in heaven. What about hope? Well, again, our, our hope is sealed in Christ's sacrifice, applied to us by his Holy Spirit. God not only gives us the basis of hope by giving us faith, he gives us the substance of that hope by giving us his son to mediate for us and his spirit to regenerate us. That's that's real hope. But just like faith, hope will reach its goal in heaven. God makes us completely perfect in our union with Jesus. As Romans 8.24 says, hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So there will be a day when you receive what you hope for. In heaven, the waiting will be over. Our hope will be realized as Jesus welcomes you into his presence forever and ever. With that in mind, hope abides today, but love is greater And they all work together, but love carries you through this life in your relationships with the Lord and in your relationship to each other. And until we are all brought at last to stand before the face of God, love never fails. It binds you to God and binds you to each other. And in the consummation, when Jesus welcomes you into heaven, and when he welcomes us in the resurrection, in that consummation, what we enjoy now partially will be known completely and without any error at all. Listen to what Bavink says about this. We will all know him, each in the measure of our mental capacity, 
We will know him directly, immediately, unambiguously, and purely. We will receive and possess everything we expected here only in hope. Thus, contemplating and possessing God, we enjoy him, and we are blessed in his fellowship, blessed in soul and body, intellect and will. He's talking about the great vision of what is ours by promise. Already, but not yet. What you have now, being bound by Christ in that bond of love, is real. And it is great. And it will be better in heaven. And what you have now, in the fellowship of the saints, is real. It is genuine. But it has its flaws. But it is great. It is so sweet. Brothers and sisters decide to love because God has loved us. And it is in the strength of Christ himself we are able to endure and to not turn back. So I pray that this sight of heaven would give you the strength of heart and mind to love one another. For love never fails. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this promise and this glimpse of heaven that you have given to us. Lord, we recognize how frail and faulty our love for you is but that we are kept by your faithfulness. There is a bond of love that you have made with us, a bond that you have guaranteed by the blood of Jesus Christ, and a bond that will see us to the very end, to heaven itself, and on into eternity forever. Lord, may that vision of heaven inspire us and strengthen us And give us the resolve to persevere in love towards one another. To take the field and to not give up, knowing that your love never fails. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We'll close by singing Psalm 117c. I want you to notice here that in this in this very short psalm, that what David leads us to do is to, uh, to lift up our voices in worship and to praise God for what he has done. And what is it that, is, that he has done? The loving kindness that he shows to us and his truth are everlasting. They never fail. Let's close this by thanking God for his love that never fails. Let's stand and sing Psalm 117C.